0: be some of your favorite Christmas songs? Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Muy bien. Melek Likimaka. I got that one. Any other ones? What? I can't hear you. Silent Night. Silent Night. Jingle bells. Jingle bells. Little, drummer Little drummer boy in the balcony up there. Huh? <laughs> sing it. Just go ahead and sing it. <laughs> <laughs> you win. <laughs> okay, how about albums? Anybody have any favorite Christmas albums? Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. You are strong with Justin Bieber right there. Mariah Carey, I know. I don't care how old it is, and it's old, but it's my favorite. So, Okay. Michael Buble, he's another one. Somebody just gave me Andrea Bocelli, and I have to say he can sing. Um, when they were passing out that gift, it went I missed that conveyor belt. I don't know. Well, there are many, you know, songs that we sing at Christmas, and they're reminders that Christmas time is supposed to be happy. Songs like "It's the most wonderful time of the year," or my personal favorite, "Have a Holly Jolly Christmas." And then there is always chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Okay, has anybody in here ever roasted chestnuts on an open fire? Let me raise your hand if you have. Really, really. Okay, then the people that have next year, you're in charge of roasting chestnuts. So, right out there in front, we're going to have the roasting chestnuts thing. Evidently, it's a big deal, right? And then there's the, you know, walking in a winter wonderland. All of these songs, they communicate to us that Christmas is supposed to be joyous and trouble-free. We have these pictures in our mind of children playing and church choir singing, people smiling and getting along. But often, it's not... That way, is it? It's supposed to be, as the song would say, the most wonderful time of year and the happiest season of all. But let me ask you honestly, is that what you're experiencing this season? I mean, maybe, maybe not. For some of you, maybe there's been personal problems that have just kept you from experiencing the joy of the season. I think we have tremendously high expectations of Christmas. We want everything to be perfect, but for many... It'll be a difficult time because perhaps something has interrupted the joy. Maybe it was a sickness or death or a divorce or loneliness. And then for other people, maybe it's just crisis after crisis has run you over. And so with you know, this avalanche of problems, it's hard to have a holly jolly Christmas. And then some of you perhaps are so busy and working so hard that there's no time for sitting around you know, roasting chestnuts. Or maybe there is not anything really wrong, but for some reason... You're just not enjoying Christmas. It's not providing the emotional lift that you expected. In fact, it just seems to be really hard. Well, I think disillusionment at Christmas is not an unusual thing. We get so hyped up with expectations about what it's supposed to be that often the real thing doesn't measure up, and then we're disappointed. So what can you do this Christmas to avoid disillusionment? How can you improve your level of joy this Christmas? Well, there are two answers presented In the Bible, in in Matthew chapter 2, the story of the Magi, the three kings. And I'm going to read that story, and then I'm going to pull out two answers so we can increase our level of joy. Is that good? All right. Matthew chapter 2 begins, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, because he's thinking he's the king, right? When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And he begins to quote the prophet Micah, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped right over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay. So the first verse in that section said that there were magi, wise men, who would travel from the east. Now, this would have been from the area around Babylon, which is actually the present-day Iraq. So where did they get their information about the coming Messiah? Well, we don't really know for sure, but some scholars have speculated that it might have come from the writings of the prophet Daniel. Because remember, Daniel had been taken captive into Babylon and spent most of his life there. And he started out just as a servant of the king, but God blessed him and he ultimately ended up not only a magi, but the chief magi. And so as Daniel studied and wrote, he could have left very important information that hundreds of years later, these magi would be reading. In fact, Daniel's prophecies practically told them when the Messiah would be born, and then the prophet Micah told them where. So they knew a king was coming out of Bethlehem, and there were writings that would signal the star, which meant the time. Now, these magi, They served in just in powerfully influential ways. They were advisors to royalty in the East. They were the wisest and the most intelligent of people. So what would prompt someone to leave the comfort of their home, these magi, and go on a dangerous journey to what I'm sure they thought was the middle of nowhere? If they were coming from Babylon, it would be a journey of over 500 miles. They would go over deserts and it would have taken weeks. So why did they make this trip? I think it was because they had faith in something bigger than themselves. See, they had seen the star. I mean, the evidence was real. So now where was he? They were willing to risk everything to find him. They were willing to leave the safety of their homes to risk this perilous journey to seek a king. They were seeking Jesus. Now, Deuteronomy chapter four, we're gonna read this verse all together. They'll put it up on the screens, but let's read it together. Okay, one, two, three. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. You'll find him if you seek him. See, the wise men didn't just believe the prophecies about the coming king, they went to find him. And so I think that the first way to have more joy this Christmas is to seek Jesus. I mean, what do you seek? Our level of joy at Christmas is directly related to what we're looking for. So ask the question, what do you want to get out of Christmas? What is it that would make your Christmas wonderful and satisfying? Is it snow? Then you might be disappointed. (laughs) Is it having the family all together and everybody agreeing and just being happy, clappy all day? Mm -hmm. I don't know about that either. Or maybe it's just being, you know, under this holiday spirit, or maybe it's finding the right present to give, or getting the present you hope for, or maybe watching seven Christmas movies in a row. You know, but the problem with all these, is that they, they can leave us disappointed, right? Because have you ever had that kind of experience that you were disappointed with Christmas because it didn't deliver what you thought it should? Well, I'd like to say the problem is not Christmas. The problem is our expectations. We're looking for the wrong thing. The Magi show us how to increase our level of joy at Christmas by looking for the right thing. And what is it they were looking for? Well, it says they were looking for the King of Kings, the King of the Jews. He says, we saw the star and we've come to find him. They were looking for Jesus. Christmas for them was an opportunity to worship Jesus. Maybe that's what we need to be looking for and expecting this Christmas, an experience of worship, a fresh glimpse into who he is, the King of Kings. I think if our goal this Christmas was to worship Jesus, then we probably won't be dissatisfied with our experience. So how about us? How about this Christmas, we do all we can to seek Jesus? And when the wise men came on their journey, it told us in that portion of Scripture it was for the purpose of worship. It says they bowed down and worshiped him. Those wise men had set out on a journey with just an idea of what they would find. But when they got there, it says they fell to their knees and worship. They bowed in humble adoration. Not to a powerful ruler, not to a world dictator, but to a child. And do you know what? They didn't need an explanation of who he was. In fact, they didn't even wait to see what he would do for them before they began to worship. There was no questions, no demands, nothing. They just fell and worshipped. These men, who were the smartest men of their time, They were the geniuses. They were the scientists. They were the ones who had answers for everyone. They humbled themselves by bowing and worshiping Jesus. I imagine it might have looked ridiculous if someone had been watching, someone who was unfamiliar with the Word of God. And maybe sometimes your worship of Jesus looks ridiculous to some of the people you know. They might question your intelligence, or try to make you feel stupid. Maybe they say things like, why do you go to that church? Smart people don't go to church. Smart people don't even believe in God. Well, I'd like to say that the wisest men in that time bowed down and worshiped Jesus, and the wisest men today, the wisest men and women today bow down and worship Jesus. If we want more joy this Christmas, you gotta seek Jesus. More than all the stuff, enjoy the stuff. But you have to seek Jesus. All right, the second. Have more joy, you have to be a giver. They brought him gifts. You know, usually when it's someone's birthday, they're given presents. Now, my birthday is in December, and often people will give me a present in December and say, Merry Christmas and happy birthday. <laughs> so in July, I return the favor Merry Christmas and happy birthday to them. <laughs> and then, aren't there just people who just are hard to buy for? They might seem to have everything or. But Christmas is actually about celebrating the birth of Jesus. And so I'm thinking he should get some presents. So what should we give Jesus? The wise men brought gifts. Many say that this was the first Christmas gift. You know, the gifts that they brought of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, they were amazing, but they were not the first Christmas gift. The first gift was a gift from God to us. These are the first words that tell of the love that would launch Christmas. John 3.16, we've heard it and we're going to all say it out loud right now. John 3.16, 1, 2, 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loved, so he gave. That's the central part of this whole verse. What made the first Christmas great is what God got to do. God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is what love does you can't love without giving giving is what love does giving is how love expresses itself giving is the heart of love and therefore giving is the heart of god giving is what god is into god is not a taker god is a giver and god has been giving from the beginning James 1 says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, and the reason they have to put this in there is because people are deceived about the nature of God. He's not a taker. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The key word in this passage is the word every. Every good and perfect gift. God started this whole giving a gifts thing. God gives lavishly and continuously. And what made the first Christmas the best is that God finally got to give his best gift of all. It's like when he gave Jesus, God outgave himself. It, he set a new record for compassion and generosity. It's like he was so excited about this gift, he couldn't keep quiet about it. Have you ever had a gift like that that you either made for someone and you were so excited to give it to them or you shopped and shopped and found the perfect gift and you just couldn't wait to give it to Well, that's how God was right here. He was so excited that he had to send a whole sky full of angels to talk about it. Right in look 2, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. God is a giver, not a taker. So here's what I'm thinking that will make this the best Christmas ever. I mean not how not how pretty the church is going to look tomorrow night. I mean and it's going to look amazing. Christmas Eve is always spectacular here. Make sure that you're here and bringing people. Amazing night. But it's not how great the music is, and it'll be great. It's not the stuff we're going to get, and I'm sure you're going to get good stuff. It's not the food you eat, not the moments we create, not the feelings we experience. But what if we were to express record levels of compassion in actual, concrete, tangible, real, personal, sometimes costly ways? What if we were to so love the world around us that we were to give it the best we ever have to the people who might need it the most? well, then I think it will be the best Christmas ever. So I'm just asking you, what are you giving? I mean, it's the season to give, isn't it? But it does seem as if the custom of giving gifts to Jesus, which was established by the wise men, has changed. Because now we don't so much bring gifts to Jesus as we do to each other. So I just wonder this morning, this afternoon, what would it be like if for just one Christmas we would make a covenant to spend just as much time and energy to be willing to endure any sacrifice, spend just as much money to make a gift for Jesus. You know, the prophet Micah was probably going through some of the same kind of challenges that we were, and he's trying to figure out what to give God. So listen to his words in Micah chapter six. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then God answers. He says, but he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love kindness and mercy, and to humble yourself and walk humbly with your God. So Micah is asking, what do I bring you, Lord? It's sort of like a Christmas list, right? Calves a year old, thousands of rams, rivers of oil, but the answer comes back, and no, God doesn't want any of those things. The gift God wants are three in number. He wants you to act justly, love mercy, which another word for that is kindness, and he wants you to walk humbly with your God. So I wonder what Christmas would look like if we wrapped up those three presents and presented them to God. Justice. Present of justice. You know, justice means to make right what has been wrong. And there's so much in the world that just isn't right. So much that doesn't seem fair. And so I wonder what it would be like if we, who are part of the church, would wrap up a little gift called justice and bring it to the manger. So much in the world that doesn't seem fair. You know, child being orphaned, or another child being placed in foster care yet again. A family in Syria trying to get to safety, a couple living in their car, a family living on the street, and many of us who are here who have been stirred by the plight of those in need, and we're doing our part to make right what has been wrong. Many of us fed the homeless on Thanksgiving. It's justice. We're giving in our legacy offering so that together we can bring justice to our world. But then on a practical, everyday level, How about if we're just just and fair with one another? Like in our marriages, why don't we decide to be the one to make right what might be wrong? I mean, in our marriage, you know, it's it's usually always Philip's fault. (laughs) Not really. But usually I'm waiting for him to make it right. But how about if this Christmas I wrap it up and I'll be the one that makes it right? Why don't we tell God we'll be fair we promise not to cheat. We promise to always be just with each other. We promise to be fair in our businesses. We promise we're not going to cheat our customers. We'll be honest in the things we tell them in our neighborhood. We'll open up our eyes to where there might be injustice, and we're going to make it right. right? How about if we wrap up justice? And then the second gift that he's asking for is mercy or kindness. The definition is kindness. Kindness. Kindness which could be considerate or helpful. So every time you do good, every time you're kind, every time we share with someone who might be struggling, it's like we're pushing back the darkness. Every time you lend a helping hand to someone who's struggling, every time you offer encouragement to someone who needs it, every time you visit the sick or pray with someone in pain, every time we do some kindness to the people around us, people actually begin to get a glimpse of who God is. And when they do, God receives the praise. See, those who see our actions of kindness or hear about them, ultimately they'll glorify God. And and I can't think of a better gift to give than that. Every time we get a chance, we should be aware that our actions have the possibility of pointing people to a loving God. Do you know the result of unkindness is rejection? I mean, have you ever been treated unkindly? Right, I mean, sometimes the... There's the big rejections, you know, maybe people have said really mean things to you or perhaps you were abandoned by people who should have cared for you. But then there's, like, then there's the subtle kind of rejections. right? you can go to a party or hanging out with people and then you'll be having a conversation and you're trying to have a real conversation with someone, you know, that, that you can, and, and then, but they, instead of looking at you, they start looking over your shoulder to see who else might be coming in the room. Have you ever been in that situation? Doesn't it feel like a little bit of a slap in the face? Like, I'm not enough to keep you going in a conversation, so I have to look for somebody else. So we've all had that kind of rejection. And um, it just kind of gives you that sinking feeling. Well, man, I just started thinking about the lepers in the New Testament times. Wherever they went, those lepers, men and women who had leprosy, they had to announce their coming by shouting, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. How must they have felt when people looked at them and turn and ran away, afraid to touch them, not even wanting to be within distance of them. They, were, they weren't welcome in their own homes. They weren't welcome with their own families. And yet, when they came to Jesus, he didn't turn and run. He reached out and touched them and healed them. He treated them with kindness, and the result was healing Romans 2 says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We don't have to point fingers at people. Sometimes just kindness will open their heart. It's kindness that softens people's heart. And I think kindness is a good gift to bring. I remember a few years ago, I was was in a parking lot about to pull out. And I was kind of busy in my car getting all my stuff together and I happened to look up and I saw someone, appeared to be a homeless person just sitting on the curb in front and then I saw them get up and I, and I realized they were heading to my car and I said like, Ugh. And um, I thought, okay, so I was reaching my purse and I just rolled, I hit the button to roll my window down and I was just going to like hand some money out to them. And then I felt the spirit of God say to me, Holly, look at them. Look at his face. So then I did. I looked at his face and said, Hi, my name's Holly. What's your name? Says, and then he was very surprised. And, and he goes, Hi, I'm Bill. I went, Nice to meet you, Bill. Are you hungry? He goes, Actually, I kind of am. Went, okay, let's go get you something. So then we walked in Pollo Loco, got him a, a pollo, came out. <laughs> connected. See, kindness sees people. So I don't know who you're overlooking. Most of us overlook somebody. Maybe it's the person who's hurt your feelings. Kindness sees people. So I'm just saying, maybe this Christmas we wrap up kindness. Kindness. Kindness is a good gift. Can we we promise, just for the next 48 hours, Because I don't want to push it. (laughs) That we'll just be kind to one another, right? And it's gonna start when you get into the parking lot. Just practice now, because what's gonna happen is the slowest person is gonna get in front of you. (laughs) And I want you to hear my voice saying, it's a test. This is only a test. It's a test. It's a test. And I want you to pass it today, okay? Kindness. Can we just promise that we'll be kinder to each other, that we'll be more patient as you go around our city, to the people we work with, our family? And if you still have shopping to do today, well, that's on you. And so it's going to be crazy. So when you go to the mall or to Target and there's a person who was just hired for the holiday season and they don't know where anything is, just be kind to them. Kindness pushes back the dark. All right, so justice is a present we're giving, and kindness is a gift we're giving. And the third one, he asks us to walk humbly with our God. Humility, not arrogance. See, Jesus came into a world that was not really impressed with humility. He came into a world significantly influenced by Greek culture and art, and people were very arrogant and proud, and that's how they thought you should be. They thought that if you were in vogue, you would have a number of slaves and live among the aristocracy. you'd wear a lot of jewelry and flash that among the common people. And so Jesus came into a world greatly impressed with power. Sound like any other time in history you can think of? But if there was ever a baby worth worthy of pomp and circumstance, it was Jesus, but Jesus was not born into privilege. He was born in a manger. I read something a few years ago about a visit that Queen Elizabeth II, when she came to Eng- from England to America, just for a visit for a few days, that it was quite a costly visit. She brought two tons of luggage, two tons. I mean, I worked really hard to get my one suitcase under 45 pounds, right? Two tons she brought. Two outfits for every occasion, full medical staff, her own toilet seat. I don't know. Hairdressers, servants, a host of security personnel. Her brief visit cost over $20 million. A visit from God to earth, a manger. More animals than people witnessed it. Humility. So I started thinking, what does that mean for me? What does humility mean for me? Perhaps it for me, it means in a conversation, maybe being the first to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Oh. Anybody else find that hard to do, or is that just me? See, some of you are already so humble. (laughs) I'm sorry I was wrong. Or sitting around a conversation and not feeling like I have to chime in with my ideas. Because they're really good ideas. But maybe that's what humility looks like. You know, in this city, so... with people who are, you know, gifted, which is awesome, amazing. And I think sometimes you try to protect the gift or the platform or the influence that you have. And so for me, God challenged me with that a lot of years ago. And so for me, it's different than for you. See, we've each been given a lane to run in, and the lane that I've been assigned, God has given me gifts to fulfill my purpose, which is in my lane. It's not your lane, it's my lane. Right? But Christianity is a relay race. So my lap is not the end of this. It's the end of my lap, but it's not the end of the race. Right? So every gift I've been given is actually to hand off a baton. So for me, all these years ago, God challenged me about that. Don't be so, don't be so pr- protective of what you've been entrusted with. Don't be so possessive, that's the word, possessive with it. So for me, again, I've been teaching here at Oasis Church 30-something years, right, I teach, I've been privileged to teach all over the world in conferences of tens of thousands of people, I've written 10 books, I've done television shows, yada, 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 and I'm grateful but for me, God told me a long time ago that it's not just for me. That my job was to go, "Wow, look what God's entrusted to me! I'm holding the door open. Come on!" It's about another generation stepping up to what has been entrusted. And when we try to be possessive of what God and that this is mine, this is mine, it's all mine, then you are missing the whole point. Right, humility, is saying it's not about me the last voice i am a voice and sooner or later there will be a generation that i'll put a baton in their hand and they better be equipped and ready to run what's been given to them but they won't if i don't have the heart and the capacity and the ability to come on it's all of us together humility it's not just about you it's not just about me you know julian opened this service talking about john the baptist he prepared the way for jesus How weird would it have been if he went, no, 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 it's all about me. Sorry about you, Jesus, it's all about me. Well, maybe you and I were each supposed to be preparing the way for someone. And that's what humility is. It's going, it's not just about me. It's me preparing the way for someone else. Christianity is a relay race, and it's all about the baton. It's not about the runner. It's about the baton of faith being handed to another generation. You know, sometimes I have been, it's kind of weird to think, but in today's age, but sometimes I've been the first woman on a lot of people's platforms. In these big church conferences, the first woman. And there's a part that you go, really, what took you so long? But, okay. But, again, I got very challenged by God because my job when I stand up there as representing half the body of Christ in a way, I stand up there, it's not with any other agenda, but to just do it in such a gracious, humble, honoring way because there will be others to follow. But I can mess it up for a generation or I can open the door for them. And I'm just saying it's the same for you. You can open the door for a generation and talented people coming behind you or you can shut the door but let's be those people who have such a humble heart that realize it's not about us. Be the first to say I'm sorry. In fact, let's practice right now. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am so sorry I was wrong. Look, now you said it, okay? The next time will be easier. (laughs) So if you and I are going to have more joy, We're going to have to be determined to seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Enjoy all the stuff, but it's actually all about him. And we're going to have to make a decision to give the gifts that matter. Justice, kindness, humility. Let's make that decision.